If you please take your Bible and turn with me at this time, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, and verses 9 through 13. Matthew 17, verses 9 through 13. Our message series is called Miracles and Controversy. We are looking at a whole bunch of miracles and controversies that take place in chapters 14 through 17 in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we are looking at a controversy that the disciples engaged uh, that had to do with a certain teaching about the prophet Elijah. Uh, The teachers of the law taught that Elijah must come first before the Messiah. The disciples were confused by this, and so they asked Jesus about it. And so the disciples' question and Jesus' response really make up the bulk of our passage this morning. So we're in Matthew chapter 17, verses 9 through 13. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. This is the Word of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we look at these verses and and other passages of Scripture uh, relating to these verses this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, we just want to open ourselves to you this morning. We open our hearts. uh, We open our ears to your Word. Uh, we ask that you would come and work in our hearts, give us, grant us understanding of your word, uh, grant us understanding of, of uh, the changes that you might want us to bring in our own lives in response to your work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. So here's a question for you as we get started this morning. Is Elijah found in the Old Testament? Or the New Testament? And the answer is yes. Some of you got it right. Good for you. It's a trick question, right? If you answered the Old Testament, guess what? You're right. Good job. If you answered the New Testament, you're also right. If you answered both Testaments, you get extra credit this morning, okay? Uh, If you answered neither, you can see me in the office after the message, okay? So, but, you know, we normally think of Elijah as an Old Testament person, right? Because that's where he first appears. That's where the majority of passages written about him also appear. But we also need to think of Elijah as a New Testament person. The Old Testament prophesied that Elijah would come again before the Messiah to prepare the way for the Messiah. So, the question comes up, were these prophecies fulfilled? And if so, how and when were these prophecies fulfilled? Did Elijah come and prepare the way for Christ? That's the question today's passage raises and also answers. And then along the way, we also learn the importance of repentance 
and faith in Christ. That's all part of our passage today. So, here comes Elijah. Let's dig into our passage together. There is an uh, outline in your worship guide this morning, if you'd like to take that out to follow along or jot down some notes as we go. But let's get started. And we begin with Jesus and his disciples coming down the mountain. Look at verse 9 with me. As they were coming down the mountain. Now remember, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. We looked at uh, that passage just a few weeks ago, right before uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. There are a couple things we learn from this verse. And the first one I want us to understand is this. We don't live on the mountain. Okay? We don't live on the mountain. Let me explain. Peter, James, and John were just up on the mountain. They had just seen Jesus in His glory. He was transformed before them, His clothes and and face shining like the sun. Moses and Elijah appeared with Him. As you recall, Peter wanted to build three shelters, right? One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And we saw that this was just another one of Peter's attempts to go straight to the glory of the kingdom while avoiding the cross. Peter really wanted to avoid that cross, didn't he, right? He wanted to go straight to the kingdom. And and, and, uh, the disciples seeing Jesus in his glory and, and Moses and Elijah, there must have been an amazing experience. And I imagine all three of the disciples probably thought, this is it. This is the kingdom. The Messianic kingdom is here, right now, right here, and we are witnessing it. But now, they're heading back down the mountain. Moses and Elijah, they've returned to heaven. Jesus, he's no longer shining with glory, and the kingdom has not come. It's back to work in the valley. And you know, we all love the mountaintop experiences. I love them. You know, those times when God feels so close and your heart is just bursting with faith in an extraordinary way. You know, sometimes it happens at a retreat or at a conference or sometimes God draws exceptionally close during a time of corporate worship or private prayer. Sometimes it happens when we're out in nature and we're viewing God's beautiful creation. You know where it sometimes happens? Sometimes it happens when we're on top of an actual mountain, right? And looking out over God's beautiful creation. Our mountaintop experience becomes a mountaintop experience. We love the mountaintop experiences, but we don't live on the mountain. There is work to do in the valley. There are people to reach problems to solve, battles to fight. And we need to learn to walk with God not only during the extraordinary moments on the mountain, but also during the very ordinary moments of daily life. We don't live on the mountain, at least not yet. Did you know someday we will live on the mountain? Did you know that? Isaiah chapter 2 says this, verses 2 and 3. In the last days, 
The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. One day, we will live with God on the mountain of the Lord forever. It will be the ultimate mountaintop experience for all of eternity. But for right now, where do we live? We live in the valley as we walk the road of the cross with Christ. And then the second thing we learn from this verse is that the disciples were not to share about Jesus' transfiguration with anyone until after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus instructed them. He said, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is actually the fifth time now we've seen this in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus commands someone not to tell anybody else what they've just seen or heard or, or what Jesus has done. Five times Jesus tells people, don't tell anyone. But this time he puts a time element on it. In other words, it's not a permanent injunction. He says, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You might wonder, why did Jesus command people five times not to tell others about him? And the answer is because it was not time yet. People would not have understood Jesus' mission. Like Peter, they probably would have been ready to crown him as a political messiah right away which would probably have provoked Rome and hastened Christ's death. Nothing must interfere with God's timetable. Nothing must interfere with Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins in God's perfect time. Here in Matthew 17, 9, Jesus puts the emphasis on His resurrection. He says, don't tell anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And you might wonder, well, why wait until after the resurrection? Because then, by then, Jesus' work on the cross would be finished. And also because Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate evidence that He truly is the Son of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says this, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God. How? By His resurrection from the dead. And so as Jesus and His disciples come down the mountain... Jesus says, don't tell anyone what you just saw until after he'd been raised from the dead. News alert for you this morning. Ready for this? It's happened. Jesus has been raised from the dead. You knew that, right? We just celebrated that last week for Easter. And so because Jesus has been raised from the dead, that means we don't have to be quiet anymore, right? You can tell anyone and everyone about Jesus. So what do we learn from verse 9? Two things. We don't live on the mountain. We don't live on the mountain. The disciples were not to share about Jesus' transfiguration until after the resurrection. And then next, the disciples ask Jesus about Elijah. What about Elijah? What about Elijah? Back to Matthew 17. Look at verse 10 with me now. The disciples asked him, Why then... Do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? This question was probably prompted by the fact that they had just seen 
Elijah on the mountain, right? You know, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And seeing Elijah, they got Elijah on the brain, and it made them think about something. And, uh, you know, remember, the teachers of the law say that Elijah is supposed to come first. And so the disciples, they're confused. Peter has just recently confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus said, you're right. They've just seen Jesus transfigured on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. But if Jesus really is the Messiah, here's their question. Why hasn't Elijah come first to prepare the way? And in order to understand the disciples' question, we first need to look at the Old Testament background, because the Old Testament indeed does teach this, that Elijah comes first to prepare the way. Let me share it with you real briefly. It's real easy. The very last book of the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. Malachi was a prophet who prophesied about 400 years before Christ. Malachi challenged the people of Israel concerning their sin and their lack of worship of the one true God. He affirmed God's love for them, but he also urged them to repent, reminding them that the Messiah would come just as God had promised. And then you get to the last two chapters of Malachi, which also happen to be the last two chapters of the whole Old Testament. In the last two chapters, we read about the messenger, Elijah, who would come first to prepare the way. We read these verses earlier, but let's take a look at them now. Malachi 3.1 says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Notice he's not named yet, but then you come to chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Period. Those are now the very last words of the Old Testament. There'll be no other prophets. There'll be no other scriptures for 400 years until the time of John the Baptist, until the time of Jesus. And so these are the last words of the Old Testament, and they set the stage for the coming of the Messiah preceded by the coming of Elijah. Elijah comes first to prepare the way. And you know what? Today, most Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come, right? Did you know they are also still waiting for Elijah to come first? Still waiting for Elijah. When they celebrate the Passover, they leave a, a place, an empty place at the table for Elijah. During the meal, the cup of Elijah remains untouched in the center of the table. As part of the Passover celebration, part of the different things that they enact and read and, and work out is the son from the family who go to the front door and open the door. Elijah, are you here? And check and see if Elijah has come yet. Still waiting for the Messiah, still waiting for Elijah to come first. So here was the disciples' big question, okay? If Elijah is supposed to come first, then they're wondering, then how can Jesus be the Messiah? Or to put it another way, if Jesus is the Messiah, then why hasn't Elijah come? 
And then there's another question related to all this because Jesus has been telling them about his coming suffering and death in Jerusalem. And if Elijah comes first and restores all things, it makes everything right, then how can, after Elijah comes, how can the Messiah suffer and die? Remember, the disciples thought the Messiah was coming to deliver them from their enemies. And so they're really struggling with this whole idea of a suffering Messiah who dies. And so the disciples asked Jesus, what about Elijah? And Jesus answers them, Elijah has already come. That's Jesus' answer to them. Elijah has already come. Go back to Matthew 17 with me now, verses 11 to 13. Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, there's a number of important points Jesus makes here. We're going to unpack them one by one. Four points here. First, Jesus affirms that, yes, Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. Verse 11, he says, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. I want you to notice a couple things about this verse. First of all, notice how Jesus speaks about Elijah and Elijah coming, how he speaks about him in the present tense. Here comes Elijah, right? And yet, in the very next verse, he's going to tell the disciples that Elijah has already come. Past tense. This is what we call an historical present. It's indicating, you're talking in the present tense, but it indicates something has already happened. We do this as well. You're telling a story about something that happened earlier in the day, but you put it in the present tense. You say, so I go into the grocery store, okay, and then I get into line, and this guy gets in line behind me. What are you doing? You're talking in the present tense. Why? To make it more vivid. Even though it's something that happened in the past earlier that day, you speak in the present tense. That's what Jesus is doing here. It makes it more vivid for his listeners. But then I also want you to notice how Jesus speaks about how Elijah is going to restore all things in the future. He says, Elijah comes, present tense, and will restore all things, future tense. So Jesus is speaking in the present tense about Elijah coming in the past and how Elijah will restore all things in the future. Confused yet? Is your head spinning? My head's spinning a little bit, right? So what does Jesus mean by all this? He's simply saying this. Elijah has come. And what Elijah did, his ministry, what Elijah has set in place, uh, will be fulfilled. You see, the Old Testament prophecies, uh, when they're speaking about future events, the Old Testament prophecies often compact the future events together. And they'll often take multiple events and present them all as one event. You know, sort of like if you're at a distance and you look at the mountains, it just looks like one big mountain. But when you get closer, you can see there's several mountain peaks there. It's the same thing. Uh, it's why the Old Testament prophecies rarely distinguish between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. From the vantage point of the Old Testament, it's all just one event. 
Although when you get to the New Testament, we find out that they are separated in time, a pretty long period of time. We're going on, you know, 2,000 years, right? And so, you know, but it looks like one event in the Old Testament. Same way with Elijah here. The restoration of all things, that restoration begins with Elijah's message of repentance. Elijah prepares the way for the Messiah who will eventually restore all things. Now, we already know, because we peeked ahead to verse 13, uh, that Elijah's role in the New Testament is fulfilled by John the Baptist. We, we read the following about John in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Remember we saw the messenger also in Malachi? Now we're in Isaiah. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem uh, went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so here John the Baptist fulfills the role of Elijah. How? By coming in the wilderness, right? By preaching a message of repentance, by preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah. So now going back to Matthew 17 again, the disciples asked Jesus, what about Elijah? Why did the teachers say that, uh, that Elijah must come first? And Jesus says, yeah, they're right. Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. Elijah prepares the people for Christ through confession and repentance of sins. Because the greatest restoration of all is the restoration of sinful human beings with a holy God. Elijah restores all things by pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The restoration begins with repentance. It will be completed in all of its fullness when Jesus returns. And so, yeah, Jesus affirms. Elijah comes first. He restores all things. Then he tells the disciples, Elijah already came. (laughs) Elijah already came. They just didn't recognize him. Look at verse 12. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but they've done to him everything they wished. And, of course, Jesus is still talking about John the Baptist here, right? It was John who came in the wilderness preaching repentance for sins, preparing the way for Christ. John the Baptist was fulfilling the role of Elijah, but you know what? The religious leaders, they didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize him. We read this in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Now, this was John. This is John the Baptist. This was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to the the people who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way 
for the Lord. The, the religious leaders, they didn't know what to make of John. Was he the Christ? Was he Elijah? Was, was he the prophet that Moses had spoken about in the Old Testament? So they ask him over and over again, who are you? Who are you? And John says, I'm, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. He's trying to point them back to Isaiah. Make straight the way for the Lord. You know what they should have done? These were teachers of the law, right? You know what they should have done? They should have connected. They should have connected the messenger who was prophesied by Isaiah. They should have connected that messenger with the messenger prophesied by Malachi with the coming of Elijah. But they didn't. They missed it. They didn't recognize him. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, Elijah already came. They didn't recognize him. They did to him everything they wished. And here Jesus is talking about John's imprisonment, his suffering, his execution, his beheading that took place under King Herod. They did to him everything they wished. And so Jesus affirms, yes, Elijah comes first. He restores all things. Things Jesus tells them, hey, Elijah already came. The people didn't recognize him. And then thirdly now, he tells them that he is going to suffer as well. Look at the uh, rest of verse 12 now where Jesus says, in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. The Son of Man is going to suffer. Jesus says, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Jesus continues to hammer this point home to his disciples. He's told them multiple times already. What's he doing? He's preparing them for what is ahead. He's preparing them for what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. They should have been prepared. They should have been ready when it all took place. What also is Jesus saying here? He's saying this, okay? He's saying, hey, the teachers of the law were wrong about Elijah. And guess what? They're wrong about the Messiah, too. Jesus did not come as a political Messiah to rescue them from Rome. No, he came as a spiritual Savior to rescue them from sin. Now, the physical restoration of all things, that's going to come, too. But that takes place later when Christ returns. The Bible tells us that just as they did not recognize John the Baptist when he came as Elijah, so also they did not recognize Jesus when he came as the Messiah. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 says, He, speaking of Jesus, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. And so just as John suffered, Jesus says in the same way, he will also suffer at the hands of the people. Jesus affirms, Elijah comes first. He restores all things. He tells them, Elijah's already come, but the people didn't recognize him. He tells them he also is going to suffer at the people's hands. And then finally, we read in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. He's been talking about John the Baptist this whole time. John the Baptist 
was the Elijah who was to come. He was the fulfillment of the Malachi prophecies and the Isaiah prophecies too. Now, you know, this was not the first time that Jesus did this. It's not the first time he's identified John with Elijah. You go back uh, six chapters, Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus told the crowds this. He said, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus already told them that John the Baptist is Elijah, but they just didn't get it. Now, people sometimes wonder, with all of these passages that we've been talking about, they sometimes wonder if Jesus means, does this mean that Elijah died and then came back as John the Baptist? In other words, is this a case of reincarnation? And people ask that question. You'll find that theory out on the Internet. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, John the Baptist was Elijah reincarnated. So is that true? Was, 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 did, John, did Elijah die and come back as John the Baptist? And the answer is no, for at least four reasons. I can give you four reasons why this morning that Elijah didn't die and come back as John the Baptist. Ready? Here we go. Number one, Elijah never died. Okay? That's a, that's a real simple one. Elijah was just taken straight to heaven. So No, Elijah didn't die and come back as John the Baptist because he never died. Reason number two, the disciples just saw Elijah. He was on the mountain with Jesus and Moses. He didn't come back as John the Baptist. He's still Elijah. He's still alive. Number three, when the religious leaders asked John, are you Elijah? He said no, (laughs) because he wasn't Elijah, not physically, not, not a reincarnation. And then a fourth reason is simply this. The Bible teaches us that reincarnation doesn't exist, that there's no such thing as reincarnation. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. You only get one life, one death, folks, right? At least here in this. Earth. So you don't die and then come back and live and then die and then come back and live and die. No, you die once and then you face the judgment. So no, John fulfilled the Malachi prophecies in a spiritual manner, not in a physical manner. Here's another one. The angel Gabriel prophesied about John the Baptist before his birth. This is what he said, Luke 1.17. And he, John, will go on before the Lord, here we go now, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And there he's, he's quoting the, the Malachi and, and the Isaiah prophecies about Elijah coming. But notice what he says. It's not a reincarnation. No, John came in the spirit and power of Elijah, not as a physical reincarnation of Elijah. So why does all of this matter to us? I know we've learned a lot. We've got a lot of information. Why does all of this matter to us? I want to share with you three things. It matters tremendously to us in three ways. First of all, it matters to us prophetically. Prophetically. Were the Malachi prophecies about Elijah ever fulfilled? Well, here comes Elijah. God's word is truth. And so the prophecies of Malachi must be fulfilled. Elijah does come first. Jesus shows us that these prophecies were fulfilled as God intended through the ministry of John the Baptist. Just as Jesus told the crowds, he said, John is the Elijah who was to come. 
if you are willing to accept that. So it matters to us prophetically. God's word must come be fulfilled. It must come true. Secondly, it matters to us historically. If Elijah comes first, then how could Jesus be the Messiah? Well, here comes Elijah, right? John the Baptist coming in the spirit and power of Elijah shows that Jesus really was the Messiah. And if John the Baptist was the Elijah who was to come, guess what? That means we no longer need to wait for Elijah. He already came. And it means we no longer need to wait for the Messiah. He already came. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah, who came to rescue us from sin and to make us right with God. So yeah, it matters prophetically, it matters historically, and then finally it matters to us personally. Because people sometimes ask the question, you know, they see a passage like this, and they see a lot about repentance in there. You know, John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And they, they wonder, what, what does repentance have to do with faith? How does that all t- tie together? What does repentance have to do with faith? Well, here comes Elijah. John the Baptist comes preaching a baptism of repentance for sins, preparing the way for Jesus to come. Hear this now. Repentance prepared the way for Jesus to come to us. And repentance prepares the way for us to come to Jesus. You see, we must all repent of our sins before coming to Christ. Repentance from sin, that is part of faith in Christ. When you truly believe in Jesus, you will repent of your sins. And when you truly repent of your sins, you will put your faith in Jesus. They go together. So let me ask you as we close now. Have you done this? Have you confessed your sins to Christ? Have you turned away from your sins? Will you turn away from your sins today? Will you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior today? That's the message of our passage today. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you for this uh, somewhat confusing passage when we first read it about Elijah and John the Baptist. And Lord, at first we're just not even sure what's all going on. We still might not be completely sure of all that's going on. But Lord, we know this. Your word is true. Your prophets, the, all the prophecies of the Old Testament either have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, or will be fulfilled. We thank you that your word is true. We have that assurance. Lord, we, we thank you uh, that these are historical events. That John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He prepared the way for you. That Jesus, you the Messiah, you have come and you are coming again. We praise you, Lord. It makes all the difference. And personally, Lord, we are so sorry for our sins. Lord Jesus, you died for our sins. You suffered and died for us. How can we continue in our sin any longer? Lord, we turn from it. We turn away from anything that you say is displeasing to you in your word. Help us to live a godly life that is pleasing to you. And Lord, when we fail, and we, sh- we surely will, help us just to come to you confessing our sins, receiving your forgiveness. But Lord, we repent. We turn away from the sin in our life. Lord, we say, take it away from us. We don't want it to be a part of our life anymore. We want to be free to love you and serve you and worship you and serve other people in the power of the Spirit. 
Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.